Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. Tonight's segment on kale, the new vegan bowl coating was canceled because kale sucks. Now I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, having a wonderful cold, cold, cold January here in uh, the great state of North Carolina. Uh, On tonight's show, we will have the first of the Ask the Pipe Maker segment with uh, Jeff Grasick. My guest tonight is uh, pipe restoration expert and uh, lady pipe smoker, Caitlin Mills. Music mailbag and rant, all that coming up in tonight's episode or this week's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. And remember, you must be of legal smoking age wherever you are to listen to this fine and wonderful show. So if you're not, go ahead, turn it off. We'll wait. No, we won't. We're going right along. Um, anyway, uh, this past weekend, had a lot of fun on uh on Sunday, uh, my friend, pipe maker, and musician Jody Davis was in town, so we uh, got to go hang out at our local pipe club meeting for four hours, three and a half hours, and then went and saw Jody play. It's always great to see him, and uh, just a lot of fun to go hang out with him. Uh, and then we, uh, and then later that night, I was actually up late enough to see that uh, wolf blood red super moon whatever thing. However, at twenty some odd degrees outside, it was a little too cold to be standing out there. So I came inside, went to bed, and then looked on Facebook and saw everybody's wonderful pictures afterwards. So there you go. Um, reminder: If you are on uh, iTunes or Stitcher, we would appreciate a uh, feedback rating or a review. That would be absolutely wonderful. And if you listen on Spotify to stuff, you can listen to the Pipes Magazine Radio Show there. And the Pipes Magazine Radio Show is available through all your uh, smart home listening devices. And uh, just say you know, play the Pipes Magazine Radio Show to whatever name it is, and it will automatically pop up. And we would greatly appreciate you sharing and spreading the news of the Pipes Magazine radio show through social media, wherever you are. And remember, brand new shows come out every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern time, and they get posted and then they get spread out around there. So brand new shows every week. Even if I'm traveling, you still get a brand new show. All right, let's get the show rolling. So everybody sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. There's nothing quite like a good book, or my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. See for yourself at corncobpipe.com. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and joining us for the Ask the Pipe Maker segment is the pipe maker, Jeff Grasick. Jeff, are you ready? I am. Hey, Brian. All right, so Jim Nelson gets the first one, and he writes in, I have a couple of pipes, both with bent stems by American pipe makers that have a really tight draw. So tight, it's difficult to impossible to smoke them with any enjoyment. 
When I draw on the shank sans stem, the draw is fine. I know the drill. I know the stem is drilled before it is bent. I'm wondering about the mechanics of what happens to the air passage when a stem is bent. I'm guessing on a bent stem, the air passage becomes flattened and thus constricted when bending. Uh, so Jim's question really is, uh, what is the proper procedure for bending a stem without constricting the airflow in the process? And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, no, no one better to ask than I'm guessing you've bent a few stems in your life. Oh, just a few, just a few. That's a really good question, actually. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. I've had a lot of uh, a lot of guests in my shop over the years, and it it is stunning the number of times people are just really, really interested in watching the process of having the the mouthpiece bent. So, how exactly does that does that happen? I mean, you you make the all the mouthpieces start off as straight ebonite rod, correct? Right. Yeah, that's that's true. Um, you know, of course, uh, I mean, it, it's a pretty simple process in that you have a mouthpiece that is nearly or, or uh, finished or very nearly finished. You apply heat and bend. Uh, it's as simple as that. But it becomes more complex when you start talking about the shape of the mouthpiece, the, the particular material it's made out of and the dimensions of the airway that's drilled through it. So you, when you drill the air, so you've got this perfectly straight stem, you drill the airway, mm -hmm. and then your goal is to put the bend into the stem, but keep the airway the same size. Do you, do you stick like a little guide rod in there to keep it from changing or? I, no, that's, uh, I, I mean, it would be nice if that were possible. Um, you know, when I, when I first started making pipes or started getting interested in it, uh, was playing around with the state pipes and everything, um, what I was told to do um, was to put a, if you were going to, to unbend a stem, uh, usually by using a hairdryer or a heat gun or a, uh, an, uh, some kind of a, a heat source, um, you would uh, put a pipe cleaner through the airway to prevent it from deforming. And I did that for a while. And it's not really all that necessary. It's primarily necessary. Uh, it's primarily helpful, rather, when you're using a material like acrylic. Acrylic okay. performs differently when it's heated than uh, rubber material does. So you're so you're just getting that you're getting that stem, and uh, obviously, you know, with your with a factory pipe, they've got a they've got an exact calibration of the of the shape of the stem and what it should look like to match with each factory shape. But with right. what you're making. It's really your eye, your perspective. So you're just heating that up and, and working the bend. Um, the, and, and, you, and the way you drilled it keeps that air hole wide open? Uh, yeah. So there, there are a couple different ways that um, mouthpieces are drilled. Um, in factories, typically what they're done is there's just a single um, – a single diameter that's drilled like a normal normal drill bit you know one that's that's uh has the same diameter the whole length of the drill bit yeah and that is drilled to within uh usually within like half or a quarter inch from the end of the mouthpiece where the button would be and then it's there's like a wider section at the end where the slot is and that's usually just um like a circular cutting blade that's put in there to meet that other um drilling that's Different than what I do, but that's how factories do that. It's it's a very fast and um, kind of elegant solution to the problem of drilling an airway. Yeah. Um, when 
artisans approach drilling a mouthpiece, they do it a little differently. Uh, part of the reason they do it differently is that we've determined that, well, that airway that you're that the factories are drilling all the way through there, in order for it to be small enough that they can make the mouthpiece sufficiently comfortable um, near the button to hold between your teeth, yep. that airway has to be pretty small. Well, it's pretty small, which means it's it's going to constrict the airflow. So what artisans do, uh, starting with the Danish, um, they drilled a larger airway. And they actually, what, what they do is they step it down. So they have a couple different diameters of drill bit that get um, progressively smaller as it approaches the end, the, the button uh, on the mouthpiece. Okay. That allows the airflow to be good, but also for the mouthpiece to be thin enough to be comfortable. So do you think it's possible here with the, with the pipes that Jim's talking about, maybe the bend is further out towards that thinner, smaller part of the stem and that that just got crimped a little tighter than it should have been? You know, that's, that's entirely possible. It could be any number of problems. Uh, one could be that if it's an acrylic material, I mentioned earlier that the material, uh, acrylic and ebonite, perform differently under heat. So when you apply heat, I use a heat gun in my workshop. When you apply heat, that causes the material to become flexible. Rubber is a little more resilient, has more spring back to it, and it tends to hold its shape a little better, has like a, a memory almost. Okay. But acrylics, when they bend, it's almost melty. Uh, it's really, it, it becomes extremely flexible, and that causes the airway to be more susceptible to constricting. So yeah. if I were to guess, I would guess that if the airway, if all other things being equal, um, that his air, his mouthpieces were made from an acrylic material. Now, if it's not an acrylic material, it could very well just be that the slot in the end, the funnel that is that artisans open up. So artisans tend to make that slot deeper into the mouthpiece. Yep. And um, so that the volume of air flowing through it is greater. Um, my guess would be that the slot was either not deep enough um, or the airway itself was not um, drilled to a sufficient diameter from the beginning. Yeah, I, I have heard and talked to some of the pipe makers that will take a as, as the as the stem narrows towards the button, they'll take the draft hole and make it go from round to rectangular so that it exactly. gets through that that smaller, wider opening, and still has the same amount of uh, of open area, or some you know some some smart mathematical calculation of uh, surface <laughs> yeah. speed to ratio to the sonic boom, and I'm sure that uh, gravity has to do with it somewhere. So we can blame Isaac Newton for it. No doubt, most pipe makers actually do have abacuses in their workshops to make the very precise calculations necessary to funnel their pipes properly. Boy, I'll tell you, that and a sundial, and you guys are set. I know. It's this new world technology here. Yeah. Now, what in, uh, you know, what in your expert opinion can Jim do to maybe rectify these? Uh, I, I, I'm going to say that there's nothing he can do himself, but there, you know, what can somebody do to these pipes to possibly rectify the tight draw? Right, right. So, uh, yes, I would not advocate Jim um, repairing his own pipe. Uh, if he would choose to do so, he does so at his own peril. <laughs> um, but uh, what I would do if I were to receive this pipe, I would use a heat source and unbend 
the mouthpiece and then I would have a better idea looking through it what the problem is. Uh, once I can diagnose the problem, tip if it's the airway, if the airway itself is too narrow, I'll just make it wider, use a larger drill bit. And I don't step my drill bits like the a lot of the European pipe makers do. I use a tapered drill bit that very smoothly tapers down to a smaller diameter. Uh, just prevents um, some turbulence inside the mouthpiece uh, and thus moisture buildup. Uh, the other thing that I mentioned could be that it was that the funnel was not deep enough or wasn't um, uh, wasn't doesn't have the the correct volume uh, of airflow, and I would just rectify that by making it wider or smoothing uh, that section of the mouthpiece, it, and then of course rebending it afterwards. Yeah, so it, so it's not a simple process that one can do at home, but it is something that yeah you know, that you could send it off to a a very good pipe repair person to re-engineer that little part. Yeah, absolutely. I think most pipe repair people would be able to do this kind of work. And, you know, you, depending on the value of the pipe, that's kind of how you, how you choose your, your repair person. Uh, but generally most repair people would be able to, to take care of this for you. Jeff, that's a, uh, perfect answer to the uh ask the pipe maker question so uh thanks for coming on i look forward to doing more of these with you hey thanks so much for having me brian and we'll be back in just a minute this is internet radio my name is shane ireland and i'm the pipe manager at smokingpipes.com it's my job to source and select the absolute best pipes from all over the world we take collecting seriously so you should think of us as your team of personal pipe shoppers when you browse our site and make your selection, the pipe you've picked out has traveled from the maker to our merchandising and quality control department. It was then given to our highly skilled photographers, videographers, and copywriters before being carefully and lovingly packaged by our shipping team. The pipe you see is the pipe you get, and it's just the one you've been searching for. Whether you're on the hunt for that next special piece to add to your collection, or would simply like a recommendation from our extensive selection of tobaccos, give us a call at one 888 366-0345 and our friendly experts will be glad to assist you. We are quality. We are experts. We are collectors. We are smokingpipes.com. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show and I am always excited when we get a lady's opinion on pipe smoking. I'm excited when we get a lady pipe smoker and now and now Caitlin, I guess you're you're doing pipe repairs and refurbishments. So uh, uh Caitlin Mills, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Hey Brian, thank you for having me. I'm I'm happy to be here. Yeah, so so besides this is really cool and exciting. Let, um, let's get to know you. Where'd you where'd you grow up, and when did you first start smoking a pipe? So most of my childhood years were spent out in Arizona and California, and then my teenage years were mostly spent in Richmond, Virginia. Um, as to when I picked up a pipe, I came down to Greenville, South Carolina, to attend college, and ended up staying down. And I started working at a retail tobacconist here in town. Um, they had a cigar martini bar, and I started working there, and then they had another location in the mall, and I started working there. But I knew about cigars. I didn't know about pipes. So I decided, well, I'm going to buy a pipe. If I'm going to be selling this, I should learn learn about it. So I bought a <laughs> pipe and some tobacco, and uh, I got to tell you, that first bowl I packed, I could not get any air through that thing. I've had that <laughs> thing so stuffed, my cheeks hurt from trying to get a pull on it. Um 
but that's when my journey kind of started. Yeah. All right. Back up. Uh, all right. Where in California? Lancaster, California. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I... <laughs> yeah. All right. So you're so you're a fellow Southern Californian that has escaped the uh, the high prices and the uh, and and the absolutely miserable perfect weather every day. Yes, I was actually really I enjoyed my time in Richmond very much. I'm glad we moved back to the East Coast for my teenage years. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, what do you, so you first started off with cigars. Was there I mean, was there something that drew you to it or was it the job first that got you in it? I'm, I'm I might have missed that cuz I got excited that you're from California too. No, you're good. I actually started smoking cigars because of my ex-husband. Um, he he smoked cigars occasionally, and he got me into it. And I started to go to the cigar and martini bar by myself, though, because they would open at about 12. And I was a waitress at the time, so I wouldn't have to go to work till 4 or 5. So I'd go in at about noon or 1. I'd smoke a cigar. I'd sit there with a magazine, usually cigar aficionado. And the owner ended up getting to know me that way. And uh, I quit. I was working at a general store and waitressing, and I quit <laughs> both of those jobs in one day. And I went into the cigar and martini bar to have a cel celebratory cigar. And he goes, wait, you're unemployed? And I said, yes. And he was like, awesome, bring me your resume tomorrow. Yeah. I was like, okay. So then I worked for that company for about five and a half years. Wow. Yeah. And, and all right, so now the difference for you, all right, so you, so you had the terrible experience with your first pipe. Uh, yeah. How do you, how do you describe the difference of the, to somebody that doesn't know the difference of smoking a pipe versus smoking a cigar? So I try and explain that basically when you smoke a cigar, it, the cigar itself is the filter. The tobacco itself is the filter. When you're smoking a pipe, it's going to be a little bit hotter because it's a little more direct. It's not. It's still going through the bowl, which is other tobacco, but it's not as filtered as a cigar. So it's not as cool sometimes, depending on what you're smoking, of course. Um, so I try and explain to people. And, of course, once I learned how to properly pack a bowl, I made sure every pipe I sold, I explained to the people how to pack a pipe. Because nobody explained it to me. Nobody was really into smoking pipes at that store. So I was really the first one to venture out and, and learn more about it. So when I, I packed that first pipe, I was like, wow, this bowl can really hold a lot of tobacco. And I'm just like <laughs> jamming it in there. And then, of course, I couldn't get it lit, let alone keep it lit. So once I learned the proper technique, I started to uh, make sure everybody else knew, too. Well, you did but. the opposite of my first bowl of pipe tobacco because I just kind of sprinkled it in there and figured, all right, well, it looks like it's full. And I lit it and about <laughs> half of it burned in about 10 seconds. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So, so that was the other part of it. Um, did you start off with aromatic tobaccos or I guess you had store? Yeah, you, know, you had tobacco in the store that you started out with. What, did yes. You, did you start we, poking uh, around pretty quick? Yeah, I, so my pipe journey was pretty interesting. I did start off with aromatics and they were bulk tobaccos. They would buy like Lane 1Q, you know, Burley and Black, yeah. um, well-known bulk tobaccos. And once I started getting into it, see, pipes were not my first love, cigars were, but when I started getting into pipes, I had a lot of customers come in and ask me if we do pipe refurbishing or stem repair and stuff. So that's when I started to get into the refurbishing pipes thing. So 
that actually piqued my interest and got me into smoking pipes even more because I wanted to learn more from my customers. And that's when I started poking around on the internet and learning about all these other things that are English, you know, Oriental. I didn't know all these other pipe tobaccos even existed until I started poking around on forums and things like that. And I was like, wow, there's way more than we carry here. You know, <laughs> we didn't even have any tin tobacco. It was all bulk. There was like eight to 10 different bulk options at the time because we were more of a cigar store than a pipe tobacco store. Yeah. So when I started exploring online, I was like, my mind was blown. I'm like, I need to try this and I need to try that. And uh, there were a couple of older pipe smokers that uh, sent me a few gifts, a couple of packages that uh, really helped develop my palate and help me expand out of aromatics. But yes, I did start with aromatics. <laughs> and then, uh, do you did you develop a, a preference or do you still kind of bounce around between the different styles? I smoke. All of it. I do not have a singular preference. If it's morning, I'll probably go for an aromatic with some coffee. Um, but I'm not afraid of Oriental. It's just I don't want that much, or English. I don't want that much nicotine in the morning. Um, so I'll usually go for an aromatic in the morning and sometimes something heavier in the afternoon. But I really smoke it all. Virginia's, Barique, all of it. I am so jealous because I'm stuck in my little tiny rut of just uh -oh. Virginia Periques and Virginias. And I really can't, you know, I just don't get the satisfaction out of it. So I'm really, I'm really always jealous of people that get to bounce around and try stuff and yeah. yeah. And, and experience well, different flavors. Yeah. It's well, that part's nice, but also I'll tell people like, you know, in the cigar industry, sometimes guys will make fun of other guys who smoke um, flavored or infused cigars and I tell them, yeah. don't let those guys get you down because you know what you like. It's your money and it's your time. So if you like Virginia's and Virginia Pariks, it's your money and it's your time. So smoke what you want. You know, it's it's okay that you don't bounce around. If you like it, smoke it. Yeah, I know. And, you know, the, my <laughs> I always tell people the best tobacco is the one you like the most. Just figure out yeah. which one that is. Uh, uh, did you go to... <laughs> Let's back up a little bit. Did you go to school okay. for uh, for professional tobacco store managing? I, I did not. I did almost take the uh, tobacco university certification, but I never got around to it. I, uh, I went to college for sport management with a minor in business administration. So I was actually planning on being on the business side of sports somewhere. And uh, life said, you're going to do something different. You're going to play with tobacco. So I said, okay. So you do have a business background at least and I do. And if I understand it right, you're a bit of a sports fanatic. I am. Yes, admittedly I am. I, I love sports. Uh favorite sports in particular? I watch a lot of women's soccer and men's soccer. I enjoy American football, especially college. And uh I'm a big Braves fan when it comes to baseball. Well, yeah, all right, Braves, whatever. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm still the diehard Dodger fan, but uh, but I guess oh. uh, yeah. At the time we're recording this, there's a team down the road from you in college football that's doing fairly well. Yeah, Clemson. <laughs> yeah, Clemson. Yep, South Carolina won yesterday too, but yeah, Clemson's kind of the go getter in the state right now. 
and not the not that I know anything about it, but I know that soccer or football is huge in Europe and it's gaining popularity here in the states. But do you think it'll ever surpass, you know, like the the classic American football? Um, it depends on how many immigrants we get over time because as the population shifts it is entirely possible that eventually soccer will pass american football just because of the population changes but if it if it stands the way it is no um although the mls the major league soccer league has has blown up over the past decade and is doing phenomenal um I honestly saw that as the biggest growing sector, and that was probably the sector I was going to go into if I did go into uh, professional sports business. But instead, you decided to uh, to help people find their favorite cigars and pipe tobacco, and we're happy about <laughs> that. Uh, let's yep. take let's take a break right here. When we come back, we'll talk about pipe restoration and a whole bunch more. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute. Italians have always been known for their aesthetic passion. It's their birthright, their legacy. And just like Savinelli, it continues to grow and evolve. It is ever-changing. Milan, 1876. Achilles Savinelli set out to change the way the world viewed smoking pipes, opening one of the world's first specialist tobacco shops. From one small storefront to a factory that delivered handmade pipes all over the world, the legacy he forged became one filled with success and prestige. Achilles' dream is carried on today by his family, who continues the Savinelli legacy. Each year, Savinelli debuts a series of new, forward-thinking designs, comprised of quality-crafted pipes shaped from some of the best briar in the world. Behind every beautiful object, there's a story. Start your own chapter. Visit your local tobacconist or premium online dealer today. We are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, visiting with Caitlin Mills. All right, so you, you mentioned quickly that you got into pipe restoration and repair because it was because of customers. Uh, yeah. How did you go about learning it? Well, the first step was I went on eBay, and I found a very inexpensive K. Woody, and I said, all right, that looks like it needs some help, and I purchased that for about 8 bucks. And then I did a little bit of online research, and I found that to remove the oxidation, you know, you sand off the stem, and that's the first method I tried. Well, the instruction said to use 500 grit or finer. Well, I only had 200 grit. Uh-oh. So I was like, yeah, uh-oh, and I didn't wet sand it. So I started in on this K. Woody stem, and all of a sudden I had this reddish-brown dust all over everything and I was like oh man my first pipe and I already messed it up all I've done is touch the top of the stem um so that led me to do a little more research the the people on brothersofbriar.com were very mm-hmm. helpful and very friendly and have a lot of good information uh they really pointed me in the right direction and then every pipe after that that I worked on it's like you learn something new every time you work on a new pipe so when I'd hit a problem, so oxidation was the first step for me to learn. Then I bought a reaming kit and worked on the bowl. And then eventually I got to the point where one bowl needed to be restained. So 
I learned about stripping down and restaining a bowl. It's like every pipe presents a new project so that you just kind of build skills and add to your repertoire. I mean, I do a little bit of online research, but if I can't find the answer, then it's like, well, we're going to troubleshoot, give it a whirl, <laughs> see what happens. <laughs> so do you have a batch of, uh, of pipes sitting around that you can yeah, that you can use as uh, as you know, like Frankenstein's monster and test stuff with. Yes, so I have about twenty to thirty pipes that are just experimental pipes, or that I um, shave down for the briar dust. Um, and then I have about two hundred to three hundred pipes waiting to be refurbed right now. Oh wow! Yeah, those are just my personal collection, ones that I've like purchased to refurbish and sell. But, I mean, I get a lot of customers that send me their family pipes or their personal pipes that they want refurbished as well. So you can do everything. Can you can you fix, like, a, like you know, if a stem cracks, you've figured out how to splice a stem? I Yeah, I've done that a couple times. I usually prefer to patch or re-stem a crack. Um, but, yes, I can. I have spliced, and I do. I patch up teeth holes and... Uh, Re, I can bend stems. <laughs> yeah, it's just I've learned a lot over the years. So what? Uh, what makes you want to instead of splicing the stem, or you know, and and let me let me try to describe it. If a stem snaps halfway, halfway mm -hmm. through it, or somebody bites a chunk out of it, uh, mm -hmm. you know, there's a process where you can take a brand new piece and and attach it to the existing old part of the stem. What makes you decide whether or not you want to splice it or just cut a whole new stem for it? Well, it depends on how much the customer wants to pay and where <laughs> the mistake is slash how the vulcanite is created. If it's weak vulcanite, splicing it, you can still do it, but there's a chance that it's not going to hold up for a okay. long time. Um and also, it costs a little bit more for me to splice a stem because it takes a little more time than it is for me to just re-stem it. And then I and I guess, it, but if you splice it, then you've still got the original stem logos, and you don't have to yes, redo that all that true. stuff. So, well, it depends on. Yeah, not all not all pipes have stem logos though, so sometimes that makes it easier when they don't. Um, <laughs> yeah. Then, then, like, then you don't even notice that it's different. Because, you know, you make it look exactly like the old one. And if it doesn't have a stem logo, then you're good to go. And when you restain a pipe, do you have, like, multiple colors of stain laying around so that you can match the original color as close as possible? Yes and no. Um, sometimes and once I strip it down, I do have multiple stains I can use. But once I strip it down, I kind of let the wood dictate to me what color it wants to be because... Um, and that's up to the – if I'm doing somebody else's pipe, I, of course, ask them, do you want it to be the original color? Do you want it to be natural? Because a lot of pipes are really gorgeous without a stain. Um, so I, I work with what they want. And then from there, if they're like, have free reign with it, you know, I'll let the wood talk to me and tell me what color it really wants to be. Because there were a lot of um, beautiful gray bows, actually, that they stained this horribly dark 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 brown <laughs> and once you strip it down you're like oh my goodness this green is gorgeous this bird's eye is amazing why would you cover that up with like almost this blackish brown color um so those <laughs> you know i'll go natural or a lighter brown so you can see the grain i mean some of them have a patch or two and i'm sure that's why they did put the darkest brown they possibly <laughs> could find on there but uh it's it's worth it to to strip it down and 
see the the grain. Now you're going to have pipe smokers across the world looking at their looking at their pipes and going, "What? I wonder if I buff that off. How? What's underneath there?" Uh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe maybe we should warn people. Don't try that at home. Yeah, um, don't try that at home. Um, definitely don't try that at home. It took me a few times to get it right, and those were on practice pipes of my own. So. And they might have uh, ended up in the trash afterwards. Uh, yeah. Do you do you remember the oldest pipe you've worked on? Ooh, that's a good question. Um Oh man. I've worked on let's see a couple from the 1920s and 1915s. I don't remember exactly oh. what they were, but I remember the customer told me my dad bought this in this year and you know, I want to preserve it. Or my grandfather bought this in this year because they still had the receipt or something. But I couldn't tell yeah. you the brand or the type. But yeah, I worked on some pretty old ones. Nothing crazy. <laughs> no, just hundred year old pipes. Nothing. Yeah. No big deal. Uh, no, no big. No, but it does make a. It makes a great little memorial to the to the person if you clean up their. You know, if they're gone and you clean up a pipe of theirs and just set it on your on your rack, you you don't even need to smoke it. Just have their pipe sitting there, nice and clean. It does, and that's actually. I was gonna say that's one of my favorite things. I mean, I keep a lot of pipes in my house that I refurbish and sell online for me. But I really enjoy when a customer says, "Hey, this was my dad's pipe, or this was my grandfather's pipe." Can you fix it up? I'm going to keep it, you know, so I remember him. Or some of them are even like, I'm going to smoke it so that I think about him every time I smoke it. And those are kind of my favorite because then I get a little bit of background from them. And, and it's associated with, like, fond memories. So those are those are my favorite refurbs when I get to kind of bring a part of their family history back to life and uh, send it back to them. And they're always so pleased. They're like, oh, man, it looks just like the day my grandfather bought it or whatever, you know. That's my favorite. <laughs> Yeah, they're not just pipes, they're memories. They are. And pipe tobacco, too, the smell of... Uh, when I was working in retail at the mall location, when people would come in, they'd open the cherry bulk, to bulk tobacco and smell it, and they're older women and stuff, and they're like, oh, that just reminds me so much of my father or my grandfather. And it's funny how... Yeah, it smells, you know, bring back all these memories and stuff. And, and that, I can't tell you how often that would happen when people would come in and do that. And, I mean, I'd always be happy for them that they could associate fond memories with the smell of pipe tobacco. Now, th this may be a little personal, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Are you Do you smoke your pipe in public, or are you, more, are, are you a little more private about it? So I used to do it much more. Um, in public than I do now simply because of time constraints um, and I recently got a new sales position that the company is not so fond of tobacco usage so I actually don't Ooh. talk about my tobacco usage too much so it's kind of funny that I'm doing a radio show but hey um, <laughs> uh, yeah, let's put it this way if I I'm not smoking but if I was wink wink I'd be smoking an Albin pipe right now with some uh, some Christmas cheer <laughs> uh, did you get did you get strange looks from people with you being of the uh, of the female gender and you puffing on a pipe? Oh yes, oh yes, <laughs> very much so. Um, and it, and it's, it was funny working retail as well because I'd be like, oh yeah, like pop into the humidor to help somebody, and they'd look at me like, do you even smoke cigars? Yeah. 
them. And I'd look at them and I'd be like, yeah, I've pretty much smoked every cigar in this humidor, you know, and you have a few hundred facings. And they're like, oh, wow. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the same same thing, you know, same gender bias goes across pipes and cigars where, you know, no, you can't, you, you ain't a guy, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you don't know, yeah. Um, are there are there pipe styles that you more prefer? And, and I guess I'm trying to figure out, you know, maybe if there's a pipe manufacturer listening is, are there pipe styles that might might appeal more to women? That's a very good question. So women, and of course, this is just me talking, so I don't speak for all women usually, but um, <laughs> we have smaller hands than men. So usually a pipe that isn't too large or that, that fits well in a smaller palm, it doesn't necessarily have to be a small bowl, but you know, we're not wanting to smoke. We typically don't go, oh, yeah, Savinelli freehands. That thing is huge. Let me grab that. It's like holding a boulder, you know, for some of us. Um so other than that, I mean, that's really the biggest difference I've noticed in what women find comfortable. Other than that, we're just like men. We billiards, curve pipes, you know, church wardens, whatever works. We you, all have our own individual taste, you know. You just want something that looks good and feels comfortable. Exactly. Exactly. That's really what it boils down to. And, of course, smokes well. But, yeah, looks good, feels comfortable, and... uh smokes our our pipe tobacco well on the repair side is there a repair or restoration project that you just absolutely hate to do or is yeah is, is there something that comes when it comes in the door at you you're like oh no this is going to be a nightmare yeah so one of the most rewarding and most difficult things uh for me is patching large holes. Now, I know some people like to splice those, but sometimes I patch them instead of splice them just because I'm more comfortable with that form and I know I can control um, the growth of the, the vulcanite patch a little bit better. Um, but I have this I have this one pipe that I'm working on. It's Mearsham line. And that thing, the, the hole in it's about this half, half a dime, maybe. Oh, wow. It's a really big patch. But it's gonna be so beautiful when I'm done with it. Um, it's agony to do, but I love love the finished result. <laughs> it's painstaking, slow work. It is, and layer after layer after layer. But like I said, when it's finished, it's so worth it because it's so beautiful and you feel accomplished. And that one, that and hmm, sometimes sometimes getting the stain off of a bowl can be a little painstaking as well. Um, just because when I refurbish a pipe, I'm very methodical. And I know some people take some quick routes, but I usually take the slow route because I can control my progress a little better. So that can take a while, depending on how deep the stain is into the briar, you know. But uh, again, that comes out, it comes out beautiful when I finish with it. So I, it's, it's very rewarding, but painstaking. What do you charge for just a standard, you know, basic, simple ream and clean? A ream and clean? Um, well, usually, so I have a flat rate that I, I go by, and it's a ream, and I remove any oxidation, teeth marks. It's basically a total pipe refurb, um, as, as long as there's not patching that needs to be done, and it's 25 bucks. 
So that's simple. And you get for twenty five dollars, you get your pipe back to almost brand new. Yep, and I pay for the shipping back to you. Wow, that's even better. Um, <laughs> <laughs> any advice for pipe smokers on maintenance that they can do to their pipes that will, you know, that will save them from having to send them to you for repairs? Oh, definitely. If you have a local pipe shop, most local B&Ms that know what they're doing will have some sort of buffer set up. And sometimes there's a fee. Sometimes it's like a $5 fee for them to buff it. But when you get it buffed and you, you get that carnauba wax on the stem, that saves it from oxidizing. That's why we put the wax on there. It's not just to make it shiny or pretty. It's so that it actually protects the stem from oxidizing. So if you get that done, I mean, depending on how often you're using the pipe, you know, when it heats up, the wax will eventually rub off. So once or twice a year if you're smoking it a lot. Or if you have your own buffing set up, you can do that yourself. And then a good ream every now and then. I don't ream my pipes after every smoke. But once the wall starts to build up a little much, you want to definitely ream it a little bit just so that the cake doesn't crack the bowl. So those would be my top two go-tos for prolonging the life of your pipe without having to send it to me. You're, you can't see me. Nobody can see me, but I'm raising my hand admitting my guilt on both oh, no. of those issues as I... Um, I, I'm methodical about cleaning the inside of my pipes, but when it comes to mm -hmm. reaming them and buffing the stems, my, I've got some black stems that are kind of gray, um, but oh. <laughs> nothing green yet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's a, there's been a few stems and it's funny cause oxidation comes in different colors, but there's been a few stems where I would describe it as the inside of a three musketeers bar, <laughs> that light Brown nastiness. And that's just layers and layers of oxidation. And I look at it and I go, Oh man, I've got to clean this thing up. Yeah. And that's what you get paid the big bucks for. Um, <laughs> yeah. and yeah, we're and listen. I am happy to send the pipes to you and have you do them instead of me standing in front of a buffing wheel because I, mm -hmm. you know, after five minutes I'm done. Uh, yeah, I get that a lot. I get. I mean, there's a lot of people who are more than capable of, you know, refurbishing a pipe or keeping up with a pipe. But honestly, a lot of people just don't have the time to spend doing that. So they send it to me and I take care of it for them and send it back. I've got the time. I don't have the patience. Uh, Caitlin, we will wrap this up with the fast five final questions. No right answer, no wrong answer, just whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? I am ready. What is your favorite pipe? The Albin that was gifted to me, and it is a, like a wire brush finish and an acrylic black and red stem. Ooh. Uh, what is your, if, if you were happen to be a tobacco user of pipe tobacco, what would your favorite pipe tobacco be? See, that's hard because I know, I don't want people to judge me for, uh, for saying it, but I'm going to have to go with some esoterica Benzance. Yeah. Good luck finding it. Uh, <laughs> uh, what is your favorite drink? Ooh, I will take Jameson whiskey any day of the week. And when it's time to relax, do you prefer a book, a movie, or music? All three. I actually play guitar and drums, so when I need some stress relief, I'll do some music. And uh, if I'm hanging out with somebody, I'll watch some TV. But if I'm by myself and chill, I'll read a book. And you can play guitar, too. I really don't like you anymore. Um, <laughs> and then finally, do you have a favorite pipe-smoking-related memory that we haven't discussed? 
Mm, let me think about that. <laughs> so uh, I do. I have one. A uh, couple Christmases ago, my family are all non-smokers and very <laughs> much not for nicotine usage. But it was Christmas Day. Everybody had already opened their gifts and everything. And I was like, I'm going to go out back and I'm going to smoke my pipe and just kind of round out this Christmas cheer. Well, my my mom sees me smoking my pipe through the, the kitchen window in the back of the house. And uh, she asks my friend, she's like, is she addicted to nicotine? <laughs> and my friend's like, like, and I had been there for three or four days and had not smoked a single thing the entire time. And so when my friend tells me this, I'm like, really? One one bowl of pipe tobacco on Christmas Day and they think I'm going downhill. I mean, if only they knew what happens at my house, you know. But uh, that, that kind of amused me because, you know, non-smokers don't necessarily understand that you don't inhale pipes or you don't inhale cigars. So they see it and they, like, freak out. But that, I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, or you light up a pipe around people and you think you're killing babies. Uh, oh, I know. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, Caitlin, how do we get a hold of you if we want to send you some stuff? How do we see the pipes that you've fixed and all that stuff? All right. So, um, one, you can find me on the Facebook group, Briar Nation, or I have a website, www.briarbabe.com. And if you look me up on Facebook, it's K and K Pipes and Accessories. Or if you're already on eBay and you have an eBay buyer's account, you can find me at K and K Pipes. And uh, those are the best ways to reach me. My email's on there, but I get a lot of Facebook notifications and messages too. So if you want to go through there, you can as well. So you're technically savvy and you know how to do all those uh, .com things and hashtags. I'm technically savvy, yes, but a little lax as of recent. I uh, haven't been posting or, or putting anything on the blog lately, so I'm going to have to kick it into gear today. I think I'm going to post. I'm about to work on a old Linkman's church warden and uh, – I've already taken the before pictures of the pipe, and that'll probably be my next blog post when it's finished. Well, we appreciate you coming on. Thanks for doing what you do, and keep on doing it. Thank you for having me. It's really been a pleasure and, a, and an honor that you reached out to have me on here. And we'll be back in just a minute. Being at the forefront of craft tobacco production for over 20 years, We've been involved in some rather interesting projects at Cornell & Deal. From the Cellar Series to the Small Batch Project, we're extremely proud of how far we've come. So moving forward, we wanted to take it back to basics, and that's what the Burley Flake Series is all about. Burley is an underrated varietal, but there is a ton of nuance there. Using various condimental tobaccos to accentuate different aspects of the air-cured leaf, each blend in this series is intended to showcase different individual subtleties inherent to Burley. It's a simple concept, one that I think really speaks to the essence of what we do at C&D, as a crew of folks who just love tobacco. It's also really good. Cornell & Deal's Burley Flakes series, wherever fine tobaccos are sold. <laughs> This is Internet Radio. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. Do check out everything that Caitlin's doing and, uh, you know, let's keep her busy. Maybe we can get her out of that full-time job. <laughs> then she can smoke whatever she wants and not have to worry about hiding it from, uh, you know, from the bosses and the powers that be. 
Uh, all right. So for music, I figured let's let's shift gears a whole lot here. And I was back listening to some Ian Anderson, who we first found with Jethro Tull. And in 2014, Ian released an album called Homo Erectus. And this one is called The Turnpike Inn. know about you but i absolutely love a song that's got both a flute and an accordion and kind of a rocked out guitar all tied into one again the album is homo erraticus on uh i found it on spotify and of course it's available for download and all that other stuff and all those other places gotta love ian anderson you've got mail pattern baldness 
In the mailbag, if you have any comments or questions, you can go to PipesMagazine.com and post them on the Pipes Magazine radio show page, just like these three fine folks coming up did. Or you can email them directly to me, Brian, at PipesMagazine.com, or uh, tweet them, or carrier pigeon them to me. Uh, going back to last week's show, Writing Rav, Iris writes, I didn't intend to comment on every show, but I couldn't resist telling you again how much I am enjoying the Mike and Mary interview. The story about the man who corresponded with Frog Morton was beyond precious. It was classic. Her adventures getting in and out of Greece were enthralling. Another great show. Thank you. And you are welcome. Uh, Casey Ghost says, that was a really good show. Mary reminisces, Mary's reminiscence were priceless. I don't know which one I liked better, the travels through Greece or the guy riding, riding into Frog Morton. Uh, Mike was enjoyable when he talked about going through the auction barns. Glad the majority of us preferred the Dom Fleming song because uh, Chris really missed the pooch on that. I'm not going to say that word. Uh, even great musicians have off days. Or it's quite possible I picked a piece off of that album that you didn't like. So we'll find out what the Grammys think. Uh, Crash the Gray writes, uh, just a fantastic installment in the McNeil interviews. The, letter, the letters to Frog Morton are incredible. There must have been such a surreal feeling the first time they received such a letter. Yeah, it kind of got me thinking. I mean, you know, you create a product and you've got this little character and then all of a sudden you're getting letters to that character. It's, you know, is that what Kellogg's thought when they had Tony the Tiger and yeah, now you've got to respond back because you don't want to break down the uh, you don't want to break down the uh, the view that the uh, that that the market might have. Uh, but anyway, uh, I wonder if they're you know. Well, I don't think we could really do a children's book or children's stories around Frog Morton because you know it might have been a tobacco item there or two. And my friend Dan Locklear writes in, uh, uh, says, uh, tonight finally got uh, time uh, to catch up on your always delightful Pipes Magazine radio show. What a treat it has been to hear the continuing stories from Mary and Mike. Uh, to be sure, tobacco has been for them not just a profession, but a labor of love. It goes without saying that their work is greatly missed by so many in the pipe world, but they wisely went out at the top of their game. Uh, yeah, and that's kind of what they want to do. And don't forget, we've got one more coming up with, uh, with Mike and Mary. I want to thank everybody that has been, uh, sending me in, uh, requests for cruises and travel information. Uh, don't forget, not only can I do any cruise line that, uh, the docks in the U S I can also do uh, hotel travel overseas, uh, theme parks, you know, wherever you're going, if you want to go to an all-inclusive down in the Caribbean or uh, in Mexico, I've got those going to Hawaii or Las Vegas. I know that I can help you out with that, especially now that it's January and we want to go to someplace warm or we're starting to think about the summer coming up. Well, all the deals are out now, so you can email me brian.levine at mei-travel.com or uh, brian at pipesmagazine.com. Just give me an email. I'll help you out with whatever I can do. And one more in the mailbag that I just saw. Uh, Renfield says, another great installment with the McNeils. Mike's story about finding super sweet red leaf had me salivating, and Mary had me laughing out loud with the letter to Frog Martin. I couldn't agree more with your rant. Glitter is banned from our house, so every year my friends send me the most glitter-laden Christmas cards they can find. 
Of course, outlawing glitter would be a hardship for some professions. And then he writes in the voice of Sally Fields, uh, think of the strippers, <laughs> Renfield. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I'll not worry about them. All right. In just a minute, another rant time. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. I very rarely, rarely dip my toes into the world of politics, but here I go. All right, hold on, folks. It's going to be a dip. Um, <laughs> this government shutdown that the United States is experiencing right now. Well, here's my point of view on it. All right. We, the people of the United States, are the stockholders in this company. We, the stockholders, appoint a board of directors and a chairman of the board by way of election. And we, you know, we, we, we hire the people that are running this business. Well, if I were running, a, if I were hired by a board of directors, say, oh, you know, let's just say that the Disney company hired me to run a Disney store and I was unable to get that Disney store open or open all the time on time and operating it on schedule and on time well what would happen to me i'd get fired and if that happened all through the whole realm of the disney company where the disney stores were having a hard time being opened well the head of the disney store division would get fired by the management above now, if there was a big problem throughout the whole company where maybe the studios weren't running and you know the parks were closed and all this was happening, well, what would happen? The stockholders would then fire the board of directors and hire all new people. So here's what I think we ought to do. We need in the United States Constitution that if the government is shut down for more than five days, whatever it is, five days, seven days, whatever it is, an immediate emergency election is held 60 days later to replace the entire management board. I'm talking about all of Congress and whoever is the president. If you can't figure it out in five to seven days, then you all get fired and I get elected and I get appointed dictator in chief and everybody gets a free pipe and a free bowl of tobacco. How's that sound? You like that? So that's my answer to the uh, political problems here. Uh, once again, uh, please uh, keep those ratings and reviews coming on iTunes and on uh, Stitcher. We appreciate those cards and letters, comments and questions. I do like getting them. I honestly love reading all the emails. Brian at PipesMagazine.com uh, and uh, travel stuff. Hit me up. Let me know. I want to thank uh, Jeff for joining me. We'll have more of those to come. 
Thanks to uh, Caitlin for coming on and visiting with us. And thank you all for tuning in. And until next time. the clouds when we're together just sing a song and think about sunny Everything that guy just says, bullshit. Thank you.